So earlier this week, I, uh, I typed into Google this phrase. I typed in, finding fulfillment in life. I just kind of typed it in, and I thought maybe Google would help me. And uh, I got 20 million plus hits. So I was starting to feel overwhelmed. And uh, tons of suggestions on how to find fulfillment in life, how to discover the fullness of life. So many perspectives around it. A lot of it in- included, um, you know, look into yourself first, uh, you know, discover your passion, be balanced, be yourself. There was a lot of three and four step formulas that many people wanted to offer in terms of what it means to find life and find uh, fulfillment. And it made me think about this question we've been asking this whole month around the idea of vocation. This has been a theme we've been looking at this month uh, in this series called Summer Vocation. And really kind of asking this question, what am I made for? You know, what am I made for? And uh, because the word vocation, and if you haven't been with us and just kind of coming in today, I'd really encourage you to look back uh, on our website. We have uh, podcasts and audio recordings of the last few weeks, and you can listen to them and get a sense of, um, you know, just get a sense of where we've been and what we've been talking about. And as we've been asking this question about vocation, part of it is really saying, what am I made for? You know, and we've discovered, well, we're made to love our neighbor, we're made for Sabbath or rest. Uh, we've been understanding, comparing the difference between vacation and vocation, between vacating and escaping or vocating and really uh, naming something, calling something into being or discovering a sense of purpose. And that's been our heart. And um, I, I found this picture. Someone on, on, in our church kind of had their son here. He's milking a cow and they wrote new vocation on top. And I wondered if they got that from our series. I wasn't sure, but um, that was kind of cute anyways. Maybe, maybe uh, that's Julia's son. He's so cute. Um, anyways, cool. But one of the best stories I found, someone sent me an email recently this week and was just talking about their, their sense of what it means to be um, a mom and in a, in, a, in, a, in a world where often we pursue so many ambitions and this particular person is educated, has you know, a couple of degrees, was amazing at their, at their work and um, someone asked them what they're doing and they just said, well, in this season of my life, I feel that I want to be with my kids. And I thought, and, and the person responded back wondering if that was like... Um, you know, why they would do that when they have all this education and all this, you know, great career behind them. And it was amazing to hear that this word vocation came up. And I thought, how beautiful for someone to realize when the Lord leads me to something, maybe God might lead you as a mom to do something else, that's okay. But when the Lord leads me to something, I can have a sense of calling and purpose around it. And when I heard that, oh, wow, I have a new word to tell people why I do what I do. Uh, why, why, I, why I, I, I follow what I feel God calling me to do. I thought that was just amazing. Um, and this whole month, we've been taking this theme from Matthew 22. Love God, love neighbor. Love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, as our vocation. And I want to just read this one more time uh, together with us. Here's Jesus replying to someone who's questioning him about the law and the prophets and, and, and just, uh, you know, about life. And here's what Jesus says, and we've been reading it all month. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, at the end, I'm going to ask us to kind of take this as a, as a theme this summer. But would we just kind of repeat 
the first phrase and the second phrase together. You ready? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your... Let's start all over. I don't hear everybody. Okay, you ready? Okay, here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Father, as we look into this today one last time this week, we just ask you to speak into our hearts and lives. Reveal to us your heart. Reveal to us um, just the heart of your son, Jesus. And uh, Lord, help us to get a grasp of what you long for us in our life, Lord, as we surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to focus on this top line. And we've kind of held it till the end. We've, we've, we've talked about uh, loving our neighbors. We've talked about loving our, those closest to us. We've talked about a sense of rest and Sabbath and what that means in a sense of loving yourself. Today I want to focus on that top phrase, love the Lord your God. When Jesus answers this question, when Jesus answers this question, um, he, he's, ask, he's answering this quest that, that whoever's asking them the question has on their heart, on their mind, and the tension that they have at the moment. In Matthew, the question is a quest for righteousness. The, 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 the question is, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What does it mean to be righteous? Like, how must I live? In Luke, when we read the same story, the question comes more as a quest for eternal life. Because the question in Luke, the person asks, what must I do to have eternal life? These two kind of different quests. One is a way of life. Asking the question, how do I live? Jesus, give me the greatest commandment. How do I live? How do I pursue this life? In Luke, we read a question more about the source of life. How do I find eternal, true life? Culture gives us tons of suggestions, right? If you want to find life, buy this. If you want to find life, sell this. If you want to find life, do this. Change this. Get this. Live this. You fill in the blank, experience this. So many answers to the question. You know, show me the way to live. Show me what it means to have life. Jesus' answer in both scenes, in both scenarios, is love. Jesus' answer in both scenarios is love. And I want to just put, put, this, put this line on the screen. There is life in love. Somehow Jesus comes to helps us and challenges us in this sense, there is life and love. Now that sounds sentimental, sounds maybe overly romantic, maybe dreamy, maybe, uh, you know, kind of like, oh, what does that mean? That's just kind of like, we just love everybody. Is that what that means? Um, but love is, is more than just dreamy. When you realize love actually demands something of you, it's an action, it's a commitment. And Jesus isn't just talking about love in any direction. He's talking about loving the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I want to just switch this phrase a bit and add to it and say there is life in loving God. I think it'd be like short-sighted to just say there's life in love. There's part of life in love. But the heart of what Jesus is getting at is there's life in loving God. We long for this sense of renewal, replenishment, joy in life. Jesus is saying there is true life in loving God. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus, when the person who, who responds to Jesus with those same words, love God and love your neighbor, Jesus says in chapter 10, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength and you will 
live. Love God and neighbor. Love vertically and horizontally and you will live. As we said last week, you can't say you love God if you don't love your neighbor or your friend or your spouse or your daughter. But Jesus points us to God first. It's interesting. They're both together, these statements, love God and love neighbor. But one comes out of the other. And there's something incredibly important about prioritizing our love. When we think about our love towards neighbor and one another and how important it is, sometimes we get blinded, right? And, and we forget about loving our neighbor. We forget about loving those closest to us. We forget about our own rest. But there's something powerful that Jesus sets the tone for. He's prioritizing our love. Augustine, who lived in the third century, was a third century theologian. But before he was a theologian, he was on search. He was a, he was a seeker. He was on a quest to discover life and to discover who God was. And in all of his quest for life and spirituality, he came to this great confession. And this great confession, after he discovered who God was and surrendered to trusting in Jesus, he, he penned these words. He wrote, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Now, some of us have never read words like thou before in our lives, so we can just kind of replace that. You, Lord, have made us us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Augustine came to that discovery in discovering God's love for him and in discovering the capacity after discovering that in loving God back, he discovered that he he could not find a sense of rest in a restless world outside of, of God, outside of loving God. So this morning, I want, us, I want to kind of bring our series to a close. And, and since we've been talking about vocation, we've been talking about what it means to call our summer or our life into being. I want us to think about this vocation, our vocation of loving God. Because there is no life, or there's no life without loving God. There's only life in loving God. So I want to think about that, our vocation to love God. Keep it, we're keeping it simple, but just this sense. So if we go back to that, to that phrase, and I'm going to take it from, um, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and uh, just this whole, like, this whole phrase, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we think about it, the first word is love. Love the Lord your God. You go to the next slide, Beth. Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to just start at this phrase here. And I'm taking the Deuteronomy text because that's where this comes from. Just the first word love is so important because love is not just a feeling. Love is a feeling and an action. Love is what comes in our hearts and out of our hearts, but it comes out in expression as well. So the word love is a robust word. The word love is not just emotional, is not just sentimental. The word love is a, is a word of faithfulness, is a word of risk, is a word of challenge, is a word of commitment. Love is feeling and action together. And then we go to the next word. Love the Lord your God. This is so vital that right from the early pages of Scripture, we get this sense that what God was calling even Israel to and Jesus calls us to is a personal relationship with him. We don't just look at God as a cosmic figure. We don't look at God as a cosmic force. He's a personal being 
whom we have a relationship with. Love the Lord, your God. And right throughout scripture, it's filled with a sense of a personal relationship with our God, Father, and Creator. Right from the Old Testament, this understanding that God has chosen a people to love them and care for them and shape them for the sake of the world. God interacted with Israel in those early stages for the sake of the world. When we look at the life of Jesus, he had this personal relationship with the Father. We can personalize this. Because of Jesus and the Spirit, there's an explosion of experience with God our Father. In the Old Testament, we read about God dwelling in a temple. In the New Testament, Jesus fulfills the idea of a temple and then sends his spirit. And, and the, the writers of the New Testament say, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwell, can dwell within us as we surrender to him. In fact, it gets so personal that the Apostle Paul says, each of us in Christ can call God Abba Father through the work of God's very own spirit in our hearts. So when we say, love the Lord, your God, it's not a cosmic, just a cosmic God. It's not just a cosmic force. It's a personal God who loves us and longs for relationship with us. And then the writer inserts this word, all, with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. This word all is so all-encompassing. So I want to just unpack that a little bit, heart, soul, and strength. And it starts with the heart. Our love for God and really the beginning of life starts from the inside. It, it might be proven on the outside, but it starts on the inside. And to have sustained love outward, like we're talking about these days, it has to be sustained inside. We must need an inward love. I love, you know, think about the proverb says, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. There's something about our hearts. Love must begin there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. When Jesus is asked about what it means to follow him to one person, Nicodemus is like, you've got to be born again from the inside out. Paul talks about someone being in Christ who's a new creature, a new creation. We just said how we can call God Abba, Father. We cry Abba, Father, because God's very spirit works in our hearts and empowers us to work in our hearts. Love starts with the heart. But it moves, and, and the writer says, love the Lord your God with all your soul. And loving God requires our soul, our whole being. In fact, in a, in a Jewish understanding, you'd never split up body, soul, and spirit. In a Greek world, and a modern world especially, we split those things up. In a Jewish world, there was a word called nefesh that really like, brought everything together, body, soul, and spirit. And so when the writers say, love the Lord your God with all your soul... And when Jesus repeated that in the New Testament, and we would repeat that today, it's our, whole, very, our very whole being that loves God. A writer by the name of J.A. Smith, he wrote a book called You Are What You Love. I, love. I love the title. You Are What You Love. That's true, isn't it? Because love requires multiple parts of ourself. Love requires multiple parts of ourself. Our feelings, our thoughts, our actions. So what we love reflects who we are. And when he says you are what you love, he's really implicating us in a certain way. I'd encourage you to pick up this book and take a look at it. Just this sense of what it means that we love with everything we have and we really are the, the things that we love because it takes up everything. To, to think of loving God with all our soul is saying this, there's no room for divided 
affections. There's no room for divided affections. This week, my wife and I are taking a week off. You can pray for us so we have a good week off. And so um, we were thinking about, you know, when, when a week off comes, you often think, right, of all the things you should do or want to do or whatever. And so, so I'm like, I asked her right away, what do you want to do that week off? It's the, it's one, we're going to take another week off later in the summer. What do you want to do? Well, what if we go here or here, I was saying. And Frank, of course, was like, well, wait, Dave. Why don't we just make this week a, a less of an activity week? Less activity week. And then I said, well, what, maybe there's something you want me to do around the house. Maybe I'll do some stuff around the house. And I tried to you know, think about a list in my head. And Frank was like, why don't, why don't we just do less this week and make it a less activity week? And no doubt that Franco would love me to do more in the house because I should, you know, should probably do more in the house, but maybe not this week, right? This week is meant for something else. It's calling this week into being. So this next week, what we're saying is no divided attention. No divided attention. There's something about saying, no, let's kind of, let's look at this whole thing and let's be careful of how our attention is divided When the scripture says, love God with all your soul, it's a call to us to have an undivided love, undivided attention towards God with all of our soul. Or unified attention and unified affection. And then then it moves to this, this word strength. And I think to love God, it needs to be lived out in our strength. When Moses first said these words, he was inspired to include the words strength. And I think there was a purpose for it. Later in the New Testament, we also read the word mind. So Israel wouldn't merely have this emotional, intellectual love for God, but that they would love God with their strength, with their life. The word, the word strength um, in that context could also be translated very. So sometimes we say like, it's very hot, right? Or it's very cold, or they're very strong, or whatever, right? And so the word very kind of says like, it's not just hot, it's really hot. It's not just cold, it's really cold. I don't just love you, I love you very much, right? And so it's a veriness of love. It's a, like an allness of love, like kind of like what oozes out of you daily kind of love. So strength, it tells me that what occupies my life tells tells you what I love because it's coming out of my life, my veriness, my allness, everything that I have, what fills my calendar, what fills my mind, what, what, what fills my checkbook, what, what I spend money on. It says there's something about that. When I look at all my strength, it's, it's all these pieces of my life. So the word strength can mean that. The word strength in Greek is sometimes, the same word is sometimes translated as the word power. Interesting. And the same word in Aramaic is sometimes translated as the word wealth. So you have very power, wealth. You put this all together and imagine, imagine saying this. Now, let's say we replace those words and we say, love the Lord your God with all your power and wealth. What is that? What, what's that? What, is, what's that? what are the implications there? Love the Lord your God with all your power, with all your wealth, with the very being of who you are. In a sense, it's all that we have at our disposal, we love God with. How many of you have read or seen the, the movie Schindler's List? Where Mr. Schindler is so moved to orient his life to help rescue Jews from Hitler's regime. And he uses 
what he has at his disposal, his resources to help free these Jews. There's one point in, towards the end where he comes to this realization because there's still more people that are suffering. And I think he takes out a ring or someone hands him a ring or something. And I remember there's a moment where the ring falls on these train tracks and he's, he's just so broken. He's looking frantically for the ring. He's checking his pockets to see what else does he have? What else can he give to free these people? And what he's saying is, he's like, he's saying, what else do I have at my disposal to free these people from Hitler's regime? That's what it means, like all my strength. What do I have at my disposal? One author writes it like this. He says, everything we have, everything we have available for honoring God. Everything we have available for honoring God. Think about that. Our gifts, our talents, our money, our time offered in love to God. So so put that all together. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength. This is, this, this is our vocation. This is our calling. This is how Jesus calls us then again to prioritize our love because there's life in loving God. There's life in loving God. Now, here's a question. How do we nurture that this summer? How do we, how do we help uh, nurture that over the, over the course of 100 days this summer? It's more than just summer, but if we just take the summer and say, how do we nurture that? Because there's life in loving God. So how do we leverage our summer for spiritual replenishment, for spiritual renewal? Well, one of the things we can do is look back and say, well, when Jesus says to love God, he also says love neighbor. So we can say, okay, loving neighbor is a way that we nurture that love for God. We can say loving those closest to us is a way to nurture our love for God. We can say rest and Sabbath because when we talk about rest, we talk, and Sabbath, particularly putting God into the equation, we're saying, hey, we want to make space for God to speak in our lives. We want to make space for the Lord to show up. We want to make space so we can see what God is doing, not just what we're doing. So rest is part of that way we nurture our love for God. But there's, I think maybe we can, we can go a little bit further and uh, the Apostle Paul says this in his, in his book uh, in Colossians. And, and he says this verse. I love it. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. What's that word? Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then again, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If there's a way that we can pursue this this summer, if this is our vocation and we really believe there's life loving God, then consider this. Set your mind and your heart on things above. N.T. Wright translates it this way in the way he translates the New Testament. He used, instead of using the word set, he says, search for the things that are above. Think about the things that are above. So think about that for a second. How would you take the next hundred days and search for those things that are above? And think about those things that are above. And the Apostle Paul says, since you've been raised with Christ, since you have come to discover just how amazing God is through the power of the cross and resurrection, and you've come into this relationship with him, here's how you can keep nurturing that. Search for godly things. Think about godly things. So here's, here's kind of two things. Everybody just say what and where. What and where. So the what is this. 
What will you include or what will be included in your summer that will set your heart and mind towards loving God? Last week I was chatting with someone who was re-listening to our message on rest and they said, they said to me, you know, we're doing a family vacation with a few other family members and I thought, why don't we, we're all, we're all believers, why don't we set time aside at the beginning of the day or sometime in the day just to kind of like reflect on God a little bit. I never, we never thought about that, just kind of including contemplation and worship, a moment of it in our vacation because that's not going to just be escaping, it's going to be replenishing. And that's kind of what this idea is, asking this question, what will be included in your summer that will help you search and think about things above? So here's, here's one, just one thing. Will, can you say, like, in the course of my week over the summer, will I, can I set aside, like, 60 minutes? doesn't have to be all in one shot. But imagine, you know, 60 minutes is like one episode of a TV show, right? So, well, maybe, you know, 43 and a half or whatever they call it, right? But, but um, so, so imagine you said, hey, over the course of the summer, every week, whether it's all in one shot or over the course of the week, I'm going to spend 60 minutes listening to God. That's the what. I'm going to spend 60 minutes pursuing God. I'm going to spend 60 minutes with a combination of scripture, prayer, journaling, reflection, silence, to listen to God. So I can set my heart, set my mind on things above. So I can search for things above. So I can, I can, I can think on things above. Here's some ideas. Choose like seven or eight psalms throughout the summer. I would say the psalms of ascent. They start at about Psalm 122. And you just read those for the summer consistently. Choose one of the gospels. Or maybe choose like the book of Philippians. We have a Bible reading plan on our website. You can find that and follow that. Whatever it would be, say, I'm going to choose some scripture. And I'm going to just absorb that scripture over the summer. I'm going to let God speak to me. I'm going to listen I'm going to journal, I'm going to pray, I'm going to write. And then I'm going to not just do that alone, but over the summer I'm going to make sure I'm connected to community. I'm not going to escape community. I'm going to engage community to a certain degree so I can listen to God with other people, church at home, connecting with some friends from Westside, coming to our gatherings, saying alone and in community, I'm going to spend time listening to God. And then what, how, just discern, what's he telling me to do? How is he telling me to follow through on this? What's God pressing on my heart? Wouldn't it be sad if at the end of the summer we could say a hundred days went by and I didn't once pause and listen to the Lord? But wouldn't it be amazing if you can, after Labor Day, you can say, you know, the Lord really got my attention about this theme in Scripture? Or the Lord really just filled my heart with joy this summer as I reflected on the book of Philippians? Or God really drew me into what it means to seek Him when I read some Psalms? Or I discovered a church at home because I, I, I spent some time there and then I reflected on my own what it means to come to the end of myself to find true life in him. Wouldn't it be amazing if at the end of 100 days, you don't have to list 100 things, you can say, this one thing God kept getting my attention about because I took time to listen to him. It's not, it's not a big, huge commitment. It's saying, can I spend 60 minutes a week listening to the Lord? And here's the cool part, the where. So not just what, but where. And I want to encourage you, where do you hear God best? Does anybody know that? Does anybody know like where they, is there a chair that you hear God best in? 
Is there like a place in your backyard that you hear God best in? Is there like a corner of your street or somewhere in the city? Is there a cafe in the city or a terrace that you hear God best in? Is there a worship album that helps you hear the Lord the best in? Is, is there something? Because, you know, sometimes we, we forget this, right? Not everybody, can, not everybody can hear the Lord like this. You know, if we tell everybody, just do this position, you will hear God. Like half of you are going to say, my knees really hurt. It's 30 minutes in. Get a pillow. It's really simple. Just get a pillow. But the point is, it's, it's not, I can't tell you where the best place, the where. I can say what. So I'll tell you my where. My where in the course of like where I hear God best is always one or two, two places. One place is if I take my bike far enough and I pause for about 30 minutes, and I sit on a terrace somewhere having a really good espresso, and I take out something that I brought to read, and I read it quietly, and I reflect on it, and, and maybe I, I was able to stash enough paper and a pen in a little bag on my bike, and I write a little bit, and I just pause, and I, and I, and I reflect, and ask the Lord to speak to me. On the ride back, I just say, Lord, how do you want to press that into my heart? That's my best wear. That's my best wear. Maybe for you, you're like, I would never hear God on a bike. I'd fall or something, right? So, but that's my best wear. Another best wear for me is sitting on my deck if it's early morning and I just kind of like it's peaceful and that's my best wear. But I don't know where your best wear is. So figure out the specific to wear. Um, but then it's also everywhere. Because I don't want you to... Let, we, can't make this, we can't make this some formula, right? Like only on my bike is God going to speak to me. But it's everywhere. And so I want to come back to this, to this, what some people call the Jesus Creed. And if you can put it up again, I think it's there. Love the Lord your God again. So think about that. What if, here's Jesus, first century Jewish culture. Jesus says these are the greatest commandments. He brings it all together. It is very likely, and scholars would attest to this, that it's very likely that Jesus would have repeated those words two or three times a day. What words? He would repeat, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would have repeated those words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus was nurturing his heart towards the love of God and neighbor. Because Jesus was shaping his whole life towards that orientation, towards saying, I'm going to continue to be a person who loves God and loves my neighbor. If Jesus repeated this two, three times a day, we can do this anywhere and everywhere, all day, everywhere, anywhere. You can do it on your bike. You can do it at the beach. You can do it at work. You can do it at home. You can do it while you're walking your dog. You can do it when you first wake up in the morning. You can do it before you head to bed. You can do it anytime. Now, if Jesus did this two or three times a day, wouldn't it be... Would it be far off for us to say, why don't we just kind of do it as well? What would happen if this summer, just throughout the day, you reminded yourself, oh, let me, let me repeat that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we close um, the gathering today. And um, would we stand and say this together? Because I think it's so vital for us to just keep this in our mind. Could you put that up there again, Beth? 
So let's, we want to say these words, and this is just really simple, how we can just repeat this throughout the day, regardless of the where, but to think about this. So let's say this together, I'm gonna, these two phrases, okay? Here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That took like 10 seconds. If we did that two or three times a day, following the mode of Jesus to just, as, as a way we're saying, Lord, shape our hearts and lives towards this posture. Why? Because life is found in loving God and neighbor. Because life, there is life in loving God. Now, as we, as we wrap this up today, I want us to keep this one last piece in mind. And it's a chance for you to even respond in this. Because sometimes we could read this and we could say, well, is this just something I do? Is this like just something I repeat? Is it like a duty I have? And the New Testament writers remind us that we love because God loved us first. In fact, in fact 1 John chapter 4, 10, 19 says those words. We love because he first loved us. So if for one moment you think anything we talked about this month was a religious duty or some kind of um, specific obligation that we can rouse up in ourselves to be these kind of people that love God perfectly and love neighbor perfectly, it's totally reversed. The gospel is that God loved us so much first. He loved us so much first. That's why we can love. Even our love for God comes because God has loved us so much first. Our love for neighbor comes because God has loved us so much first and it overflows. You guys can start. So where does this capacity come from? It comes from him. And if, if you've been tracking with us and you're like, oh, these are great principles. This is like a great to-do list. I want to love my neighbor. I want to track with my friend. I want to uh, make sure that I find like, adequate time to rest this summer. And let me kind of figure out the love of the Lord your God with all your strength and soul. And kind of like a, a checklist. That's, just, that's not the best way to start. The best way to start is to say, let me get rooted in God's love. The Apostle Paul prays, he says, as, they were rooted in, as we were rooted and established in the love of Christ, we discover how wide and long and deep and high is his love for us that surpasses knowledge. And then we discover his fullness. That's where we start. So let's just take a moment this morning and root ourselves in his love for us. And if you're here and thinking, I've never done this before, Maybe you've been with us for a month or two or been discovering a little bit of who Jesus is and, and you're like, I, you feel attracted in a sense to this, this life of loving God and people, but you realize I'm, I'm inadequate, I can't do it. The reality is we're all inadequate. But that's why God loves, he loves us. He says while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. So in this moment, I want to invite you to welcome this love of his in your life. Jesus, God demonstrated that love on the cross in Jesus. I want to encourage you to welcome this love. In a simple step forward of, of, of putting your trust in Jesus. And even right now, we'll just move into this brief moment of prayer where I'd love to help you just articulate that to the Lord. Father, 
And if this is you this morning, you can pray these words with me. Father, I long to live a life of love. I long to love you, my neighbor, those closest to me. I long to not be bound by the race, the rat race in our world, and trust you in Sabbath rest. But I need you, Lord, to open my heart up to your love. I recognize that you have loved me first. I recognize that even while I was a sinner walking away from you, you have loved me and sent Jesus to walk towards me, to die on a cross and raise from the dead so I can know your love first. God, I give my life to you. I surrender to the leadership of Jesus in my life. Right now, I call him Lord and I embrace him as Savior. I embrace your love for me and I long for you to enable me, equip me to love you and to live a life of love. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed along with me, if you made that decision this morning, please um, don't leave this morning without talking to me or letting us know so we can help you um, move forward in understanding more about Jesus. Um, we really want to help people discover just the fullness of what it means to follow him. But as we, as we close today, we're going to end with this song that, that you guys did, The God of the City. And maybe just kind of start with that bridge. There is no one like our God. And uh, let's, let's just end this gathering and move into the summer prioritizing our love for God first. And there's that phrase in this song, there is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. And as we sing this, let's put him first and then let him work in our hearts so we can be thinking about the city as well. And as we pray that for greater things to come in the city, let's pray for greater things to come in our hearts and in our homes and in our, in our neighborhoods that the Lord would just work from the inside out. Lord, we long for you to do greater things in our city, greater things in our neighborhoods, greater things in our relationships, greater things within us, inside of us. God, we long to live out a life of love from the inside out. So we, we declare right now, God, we put you first. We love you, oh Lord, our God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind. And out of that love, we long to love our neighbor as ourself. And God, we do that in response to your great love for us. Lord, for some who are heading into this summer with a desperate need for renewal in their spiritual walk with you, God, would you fill them to overflowing? May they be rooted and established in your love and experience your love that is higher and wider and deeper and longer. Know your fullness and respond back to you with such a love from their heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we trust you with this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.